Hi, Craig here from At Home with Craig. I just wanted to take a few seconds of your time and talk to you about Anchor.fm. First of all, it's free. It'll never cost you down to use. There's a lot of great creation tools built in. You can add audio, you can add music, you can add all sorts of things to your podcast. It's all built in. You don't have to go to any other websites or download any other apps. It will distribute your podcast for you. It'll send it out to places like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a whole laundry list of other places for you. Just upload your podcast and Anchor will do the rest for you. It'll never cost you down to use. It's easy to use. You can use it from your computer or your phone. So if you're on the go and you want to do a podcast, no problem. Just use the Anchor app that can be found in the App Store and you're ready to go. And yes, you can earn money from using Anchor for your podcast. There's no minimum listenership needed. Just set it and go, and that's it. So download it today. You won't be sorry. Well, here we go. Procrastination, one of my favorite words ever. I took a page from someone else's playbook today and I'm trying something new. I'm using OBS software on my desktop to capture this. Um, hopefully it'll make it to YouTube or to 3Speak on the Hive chain if I can figure out how to make all these things work. It's a learning curve and no one ever told me what a learning curve it was going to be. So here I am, in all my in all my glorious beauty <laughs> and handsomeness. I know, I know. Control yourself. Today I want to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, I wrote a, a blog post about this a couple days ago. And it has to do with something that's in the news currently. Recently there was a, an Indonesian sub that was lost at sea, and I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But I want to start off with, I'm lucky. That's it. That's the tweet. Or is it? I'm not really sure. Um, all right, all right. I'll get to the point. Now, I'm, I'm an old man, um, an old bubblehead, so some of these stats may be a little bit off. So bear with me and pardon any any errors and omissions that may occur. Picture the following scene. It's midday somewhere on the coast of, of the U.S. We'll, we'll say it's on the East Coast because that's what I'm familiar with. Tensions are high. Everyone's running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Um, there's been so much that's been done to get to this point. 
all the repairs, hundreds of man hours of repairs and, and stocking the sub and, and all the minutia that goes into it. And there's a lot. It's not just you show up on the dock and you get on the sub and you go. In my, in my case, I was on a sub that had two crews, blue crew and gold crew. Actually, there's three. Blue crew, gold crew, and the other crew. And it was always the other crew's fault that something didn't get done or something didn't get stored away or stowed away or some supply that didn't make it. Never our fault. We're the guys that are there now. They should have taken care of it, right? And they said the exact thing, exact same things we did. So how it works is you have three months on crew and three months off crew, give or take. But roughly it works out to three months for each each side. So blue crew comes down to the boat from wherever their, their home port is. In my case, it was, you know, we, we would travel down to Kings Bay, Georgia, which was built in a salt marsh, if that tells you anything about what life was like in Georgia in the summer with the gnats and the, and the swamp and all that, that goes into it. So we show up, all the officers get together, they, do, they start doing turnovers, like this is what's wrong, this is what's going on, we need to do this, we need to do that. So... We officially take command, you know, a day or two later, we officially take command of the sub. Our CO says, you know, you had it, I got it kind of thing. And the other crew goes away. Now it's our turn. So we start right away with with any equipment that needs to be fixed or replaced. Or a couple of days in or sometime before we go out, we'll do a stores load where we bring on all the food that's supposed to last us for up to our three-month period. Now, every sub is different. Every operation is different. So you may be out to sea for two months. You may be out to sea for a month and a half. Who knows? It changes all the time. So now the now the gold crew is gone. They're back in their home port. And it's our turn. So we run around like madmen, getting everything ready, stripping paint off the top side of the sub, repainting it, replacing anything that we can that's broken. We don't always get to everything. Sometimes supply doesn't have to part. Sometimes, you know, whatever the equipment is that needs needs that part isn't ready to go yet. So we say, all right, you know, it's good enough. We have operational readiness and we have to be on on our station to do this. I'm I'm glad you can't see my hands moving because I I definitely talk with my hands here. So it's it's the day arrives. Everything is ready. The commander from Submarine Force Atlantic says, all right, you guys are good to go. Here's all your operation, operational packages and everything, and this is where you're going to be, and this is what you're going to do, and, and everything is great. Everything is hunky-dory. You know, it's like, all right, we've had enough. Of, we had enough. Now let's get to sea so we can finally relax kind of thing. So we had the orders from Sublant, and the tugs show up to help us navigate out of the channel that we're in. Lines are tightened from the, from the sub to the tugs. Lines are loosened from the pier to the sub. And the, the tugs rev up. Our, our engine is going. Um, and we, we go down the channel. And this could take anywhere from a very short amount of time to a couple hours to reach what's called the dive point. And that's... that. Secret spot in the ocean that's just 
you know, it's deep enough for for us to submerge to where we, we need to go. And it's not as deep as we can go, but it's enough that we can we can sink below the surface. Now, to most people, a sub is not a pretty thing. It's it's ungainly on the surface. It's just a long black tube with both ends crimped off and a bunch of people and a bunch of equipment crammed inside a space that none of that equipment logically should ever be able to fit. And it's a lot. And on top of that, we have three months worth of food and supplies and, and whatever we're going to need. So we make it to the die point. Any, anybody that was topside is now has climbed inside. They've sealed the hatch and they're down below. My position was starboard side lookout. Sometimes I would be on the port side. It, it varied, but usually I was on one side all the time. And my job was to stand on the sail of the of the sub. And if you want to, go do a Google search for subs and sailplanes and, and what they look like. But that's me up there with the life jacket on. I'm tied to the side of the sub. I've got my binoculars on. And my job is to report to the officer of the deck who's up in the sail and tell him if there's any any planes approaching, any boats approaching, any vessels of any kind approaching. That's my whole job. Look out for whatever. So we're getting ready to dive the sub. Everything is buttoned up as 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 best we can tell. One lookout goes below. Sometimes the quartermaster will come up and help derig all the railings and windshield and um, my job as the interior communications electrician or auxiliary electrician forward was to take down the bridge suitcase. And what that was, was an all-in-one communication set. It had alarms, it had a microphone, it had speakers, it had um, indications of, of speed and, and a compass and everything. So my job was to unbuckle that, take it down. Everything is sealed up on the sail. I go down. The Austrian deck goes down, all the hatches are sealed, and now, much like the hatches being sealed, our fate is sealed also. For good or bad, this is it. Once that hatch closes, theoretically, we're not supposed to open it again till we're coming back into port. That's the idea. Close the hatches, close all the holes, seal everything up, and make sure no water gets into what we call the people tank. Now, there's a superstructure of all the all the stuff around the sub, and then there's an actual tank where all the equipment and the people live. So that's all done. And while this is going on, the captain is on what's called the conning tower in the control room, and he's looking through the scope. He's looking back at the aft end of the sub to make sure that all the main ballast tank vents are venting. And what that is is we either suck water into these or we blow water out to make the sub buoyant or, or less buoyant. And you want all the, you want all the air out. So once all the air is out, we close the hatches. Someone in, in the control room is looking at a, a display board that says, all right, he'll say officer of the deck green board, which means every hole that should be closed is closed. And, and the captain, usually the captain dives the sub. I'm sure there's rare occasions when, when a junior officer will do it or the XO will do it. But normally it's the captain, you know, it's his sub. He's in control, but he'll tell us to dive the sub and we'll go through the motions of diving. And on the surface, 
when this all happens, there's some ripples for a little while. There's a trailing of ocean water where it's turbulent and it's all it's all shaken up and stirred up and everything. And once that passes and we're past that spot, it's like we were never there, which is kind of the whole idea of, of a sub. And it's funny. We used to say submarine service, we hide with pride. And that was our whole job was to was to dive, sink below the waves, which is where a sub belongs and where it operates the best. And then we do our thing and we hide from everyone else in the world and we just do our thing. And we used to call it poking holes in the ocean because basically there wasn't a lot to do except do big circles in the ocean. We had our, our designated patrol spot and that's that belonged to our however many square miles of the ocean that was. That's where our sub was. Now, I say all this as kind of a preliminary to what I'm getting to. And I'm getting there. Trust me, I will get there. Way back in 1775, John Bushnell created the first submersible um, vessel that has a documented history of being used in combat. Excuse me. It was the first one. Now, technically, was not anything like the model, the modern day submarine, but the idea was make a submersible vessel, and he rigged up basically a bomb on the end of a harpoon with a clockwork timer, and the idea was to sink enemy ships <clears throat> in the harbor. Didn't quite work out that way, but hey, you know about 100 years later, gave the idea to the person I like to call the, the grandfather of, of the submarine force. Now, he was a Confederate Confederate soldier, Confederate whatever. Sorry, he wasn't a soldier. He was just a guy that created a way of... to basically um, combine onto or combine with what... What Bushnell did, his name was Horace L. Hunley. He made this sub, and there was a couple of failed attempts. One time, the hatch wasn't sealed right. Excuse me. Water got in, the sub sank. They brought it back up. More more issues were had. <coughs> and finally, the third attempt, he said, all right, you know what? It's my thing. I'm going to command it. And it was it was launched in 1864, and again it sank. Something else happened, and all hands were lost. Now you would think, you know, I can't have, actually. I I don't know what I would think back in that day for someone to say, "Hey, you, I've got this thing over here. It sinks, and we're going to go blow up stuff in the harbor." Like any modern day sailor or submariner, submariner, as you prefer, <clears throat> there's a certain amount of crazy that goes into this. You get into a vessel, the hatches are sealed, and it's designed to sink. It's an odd concept to think about that people would volunteer for this, but hey, I'm one of them. I went and I I loved I won't say every minute of it, but I loved a lot of it. It was it was a great experience, and it's not one that I, I would ever go back on or replace or 
you know, whatever. I would ne- if I give them the chance to not go or go, I would I would definitely go again. Now, like I said, once the hatches are sealed, so is the fate of the Submariner. Everybody on board is relying. Hopefully that whoever built this vessel in the shipyard did a good job. They didn't cut any corners. There's no no holes. Nothing's going to leak. Nothing's going to explode. So you put a certain amount of trust into the shipyard worker. And then you put a whole lot of trust in these other slobs that are that are serving with you on the sub. It used to be strictly men. Now there's women. And if they earn their dolphins, then I will call them a brother or a sister. I don't care what walk of life they came from or anything else. If they know their job and they wear the fish on their, on their chest, we call them fish or dolphins because they're it's a dolphin insignia that you wear on your chest when you qualify in submarines. And there's a lot that goes into You have to know at least a little bit about every inch of the sub every system on the sub, how it works, damage control. If there's a flood in the torpedo room, what do you do? If there's a fire in the galley, what do you do? Fires are especially bad, even worse than flooding, I think, because in someone's infinite wisdom, some of the materials that the sub is built out of are kind of hazardous when they burn. So that's a, that's a big no-no. So you have a certain amount of time that you have to do these things in. When that alarm bell goes off, it doesn't matter if you're asleep, if you're standing your watch station, if you're if your elbows deep fixing something, you stop what you're doing, secure it as safely as you can, and haul your ass to wherever your assignment is. Some people were assigned damage control, and their whole job was, if there's flooding, it was their job to grab the gear and go plug the hole, reseat a valve. You know, a, a flange could come loose. Whatever it was, it was it was very dangerous. And obviously, water inside the people tank with all the electronics and electrical gear and everything—not a great combination. I was very lucky. We never had any major incidents while I was on board. We had a few that were kind of close calls, but the whole time you're out there, you're always thinking that ocean is trying to get in here, or that enemy sub is out there and they may try to kill me, whatever. So you relax a little bit, you fall into a routine, but in the back of your mind, there's always that little bit, hey, if something happens, no one's coming to save me. There's no, there's no rescue team. You know, we have, we have deep submergence vehicle, rescue vehicles for this kind of thing. In theory, if a sub sinks in shallow enough water, they can lower this vessel made up with the submarine and get us out. I'm sure it's happened, but normally the conditions we operated under were such that that was never going to happen. So pray to God that the guy standing next to you or sleeping next back to you has just as much invested in coming home as you do. Luckily for me, as I'm standing here, obviously the number that of, of, of dives equaled the number of surfaces which is always what you want. You want to be able to come back up as many times as you go down. And I'm living proof that that has happened. Um, so yeah, you got to rely on, on your buddy. It was in my, in my case, it was 150 enlisted and a handful of officers that went out and it was, it was up to us. Only we were going to bring us back. 
us and God. You know, God had a lot to do with it too as well. He made sure we were safe. Not everyone was so lucky. Um, during World War II, the average life expectancy of a submarine sailor was very short. And yet we still went. Bubbleheads have been doing bubblehead things since the invention of the submarine. Some 50-odd subs were, were lost during World War II. Some were accidents, some were acts of war, some were mines, whatever. And we don't say they're lost at sea. They are, but we still they're still on eternal patrol. So all those guys that are out there are still on eternal patrol. And they, they paved the way for us, and we are eternally grateful for all that they did. Recently, um, as recent as 2018, a sub from San Juan, the ARA San Juan S-42, was lost at sea with all hands on board. Now, there was reports, and there's no black box on a submarine, so unless you're there and you survive, there's no real way to tell exactly what happened. We can guess, and we can speculate, and we can we can theorize, but if we're not there, we don't know. With the San Juan it was reported that there was a problem with the battery, some kind of electrical problem. Now, when seawater meets the acid in the batteries, it creates gas that's really, really bad and will kill you really damn quickly. And then a little while later, you know, they they sent out rescue ships and people scrambled to help out and whatnot. But there was... um what they called an acoustic anomaly, which basically means there was a loud implosion underwater, and they think that the sub just split in half or split into many pieces. And there's a wiki page for this, and there's there's information online if you want to go read more about it. I highly recommend if you have any interest to go and do that. Many years ago, the two worst, in my opinion, submarine losses during peacetime were the Thresher and the Scorpion. And to this day, it's still class. Well, they they finally started declassifying some of the stuff, but essentially, equipment malfunctioned and the sub sank, which gave birth to what we call the sub safe system, which improved safety and improved how things were done, and improved material handling and controls for things. So, anything that was designated as sub safe had to meet a stricter standard than any other piece of the sub. And then just within the last week, at the time of this recording, there's an Indonesian sub. It was the Indonesian Navy sub KRI Nagala 402. It was lost at sea. It was in deep water again, which is where submarines operate. And... Just recently, they they determined that all hands, were, all fifty three of the crew members were lost at sea, and it's a sad day. Now, I've never been to Indonesia. I've never been to any of these other countries. But like I said earlier, if you wear the fish, if you qualified in submarines, it doesn't matter if you're British, Russian, Australian, or anywhere else that has submarines. You're my brother. It's odd to say, but. I was I was in during the time of the Cold War. I served the the tail end of the Cold War and Russia was the enemy. Now I had nothing personal against any of the guys that were on those subs. They were there to do a job for their country just like I was. And that's fine, you know, if we went to sea and they 
if they try to do any acts of aggression, obviously they're enemy and we're going to defend ourselves. But on shore, we partied with British sailors and Australian sailors and, you know, from all over the world. And it doesn't matter. If you're a bubblehead, you're a brother. I know I had a point. <laughs> Basically, it, it, it's a very sad day that doesn't affect the world at large. It affects the families of the people that were lost at sea, obviously. It affects the guys that were lost at sea. I'm very thankful that our sub always made it home. We went out. We did our job. We came home. We partied like we just spent two months with our lives on the line. Submarine, submarine life, excuse me, is not for everybody. I don't know how the modern Navy is, and it's funny because to the World War II sailors, I was the modern Navy. And I was nowhere near the badasses or any of the badasses that those guys were. The subs had so much less technology than mine did. It was very seat-of-your-pants operations. It was dirty. It was noisy. It was hot and sweaty. Showers weren't a weekly or a daily or even a weekly thing. You washed when you could, washed your clothes, but fresh water was for cooking and, and other things. So there wasn't an abundance of, of, of water. Now on my sub we had a still that we took salt water and converted it into into fresh water. <coughs> Excuse me. We made our own air and we made our own power because it my sub was nuclear powered. Now, like I said, I don't know how it is with the modern Navy, but our our rotation was six hours on, 12 hours off. If you were lucky and you had more than three guys to stand a certain watch station, then it rotated from six on to 18 off. And, and for a while, I got to do that. And let me tell you, there are only so many days where you can sleep for 18 hours before you say, all right, this is ridiculous. I can't sleep this much anymore. So if there was no, if there was no watches to qualify for, or, you know, I had my dolphin, so I didn't have to worry about that anymore. So I could read, I could watch movies. I used to get up and help my roommate, my off crew roommate cook breakfast every morning, something to do. And it was, it was just around the clock, you know, we had we had clocks on board, but they weren't calibrated to the real world. They were calibrated to what we called Zulu time, which was East Coast time plus I forget how many hours, four or five hours, I forget now. And that's how we operated. We didn't know it was day or night. We got some news on the sub, but not a lot. And that was our life, our, our life in a bubble. You know, we did our jobs. And we came home. So if you see a if you see an old man walking down the street and he's got a hat on, it's a submarine sailor. You have some idea of what he went through. Like I said in the blog post that this was based on, if you want to know what what submarine life is like, go watch Das Boot. It's a German sub. Take took place during World War II. Technically, they were the enemy, but again. They were submariners just like I was. And that's probably the closest movie I've seen to how a submarine operates. I felt like I was back on the sub from the time they dove till the time the movie was over. Run Silent, Run Deep, another great movie. Clark Gable, Don Rickles, 
and a bunch of other people. That's another good movie that shows you what tensions were like during World War II for our guys. And it sounds funny because it's a comedy, but if you want an idea of what actual submariners are like, bubbleheads like me, go watch Down Periscope with Kelsey Grammer. It's not accurate at all, but it's funny. And I swear I served with some of those same kind of people. That's it. That's my two cents worth. Thanks for watching. I appreciate this. Hopefully this will be up on YouTube or Three Speak soon. And it will be up on Oriole.io as a podcast. I appreciate you listening. And take care.